not only are you now getting better than platinum level healthcare, but you also qualify for that 0% required contribution rate, which means you're getting this amazing plan for free. It's totally free. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 53 of The Daily Churn. Today we've got a bit of a special episode. It's going to be the first in a multi-part series that I plan to do on fire, specifically lean fire and maybe even more specifically churning fire. It's a, a topic I've been wanting to cover for a while now because I often get questions from friends and family about our current like financial situation and how it is that we're retired early in our 30s. And so I wanted to cover some of the key components that have made it possible because you know, winning the lottery wasn't one of those things. It's at a point with fire where these days, if you make, let's say, $100,000 between two people each year, achieving fire is a, a pretty straightforward path. And even if you make less than that, there are communities dedicated towards exactly that, which is lean fire, barista fire, and of course, churning fire, where you can retire with a lot less assets and a lot less income. So there's just a lot of, I think, misconceptions around fire, around the idea of like needing to be rich in order to fire. You don't need $5 million in the bank in order to retire. And even the idea of retirement itself is going to mean something different to everyone. You know, sometimes people are like, well, I'm too young to retire. I, I'm not ready to just sit in my garden and watch the trees or watch TV at home. You know, I want to do stuff with my life. And so retirement isn't so much retiring and then sitting around doing nothing. It's more about freedom over your time, the freedom to do exactly what it is you want to do on any given day versus spending 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week doing what someone else wants you to do. So over the course of the next few episodes in this series, I'll be covering some of the key components that have made all of this possible for us. I mean, churning being one of the major ones, and I, I did an, a dedicated episode on churning fire. I think that's episode seven. So I'll try not to rehash too much of that stuff here, but rather cover some of the other aspects that I think if you're not actively following fire blogs or involved in the fire community, you may not even know some of these things exist. Things like the Roth conversion ladders, which allow you to tap into 401k and IRA retirement funds before age 60. So we're able to tap into those in our 30s. There's also the glide path investment strategy, which is a method of investing that better ensures your money will last you for the 60 plus years of retirement if you're retiring early. And it's the complete opposite approach to how a lot of retirement portfolios are structured. For example, if you're using like a target retirement date fund. But for today, I wanted to get really deep into health insurance subsidies, because this, I think, is the biggest factor holding back a lot of people from even thinking about retiring early is that they're like, well, I got to stay with my employer because that's where I get my health insurance and it's too expensive for me to pay out of pocket. And it is true because it is really expensive in the US. It is like easily $1,000 per couple per month for decent insurance. 
However, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, it is now possible to get some of the best plans for super cheap, if not totally free. And I'm talking the best plans like $0 deductibles, super low co-pays from some of the main insurance providers, you know, Cigna, Anthem, etc., And so I'll cover exactly what the ACA is, if you're not familiar with that, and how exactly their subsidy system works, and why churning and lean fire specifically enable you to really optimize the system. If you can't tell, I'm pretty excited to get into this episode and this series as a whole, because in my opinion, I think fire is probably the biggest churn that currently exists. And I use the word churn kind of loosely these days. I occasionally get a little bit of flack for that because I don't just mean opening and closing bank accounts or credit cards anymore when I say churning, but rather I kind of think of it more as a way of thinking. You know, it's a way of exploring and finding the cracks and optimizing a system. I'd say like probing probably is a bit more accurate than churning, but the daily probe doesn't quite have the same ring to it. So churning it is, but it's easy, I think, with churning to kind of get lost in the trees. There are so many churns, big and small, that you can do on any given day that you can easily spend 100 plus hours doing all of these things and still not even be halfway through all of the various opportunities out there. And so I think sometimes we forget to take a step back and see the forest that we're in that is allowing for all of these churns to take place in the first place, which is the American system, which is founded on capitalism and government. So fire for me is the perfect example of a churn that makes this imperfect system work for you versus you being worked by the system. And health insurance, I think, is a great example of the way in which you can bring a churning mindset to things like retirement and really optimize and maximize that in a way that has just so many benefits beyond like opening a bank account. So it's going to be a pretty fun episode. But before we get into that, just a reminder that there is a free newsletter that you can subscribe to at the dailychurnpodcast.com, which will notify you whenever one of these episodes comes out, including the next episode in this series. And uh, you also get show notes delivered to your inbox, plus access to a live churn track where you can see everything that I'm churning in real time. So definitely check that out if you haven't yet. But for now, let's get back into health subsidies. I think a a good starting point is probably just what even is the ACA and how does it work? Just some of the basics of that. And real quick, you know, usual blurb of uh, not a financial advisor, definitely do some of your own research on this after you've listened to this episode. And most of what I talk about today is going to be things that I'm currently doing, which may or may not apply to your unique situation. But as you listen to the episode, definitely just have that churning mindset where you think about ways in which you could modify or optimize some of these things so that it works well for you. Because if you're good at spreadsheets and you're good at like probing and thinking about things in that mindset, set, this is like a a really great playground to apply that skill set. So with that in mind, let's get into what the ACA is, which is that it's a bill that was passed in 2010 and basically added two subsidies that work together to give you really cheap and really good health insurance. 
And it's become a, a key piece of the FIRE, the early retirement movement, because prior to the ACA, retiring early when it comes to health insurance really was kind of a mess. So people were all kinds of creative in figuring out how to get health coverage during their early retirement. But the reality was it really was kind of a, a damper on the FIRE movement because it's just a huge additional cost that you have to think about and account for and save for. But when ACA came along, it really just made FIRE a lot more attainable for a lot more people, including us, like myself and my P2. We couldn't have fired so early. We'd probably still be working if ACA wasn't a thing because we would have to budget so much more money each year for our health. But thanks to ACA, we currently have a health plan that is $0 deductible, and it's better than the old plan that I used to have at work. And I guess real quick for the non-US people listening to this who, who probably think Americans are savages for not having universal health care, but a deductible is basically the amount that you have to pay out of pocket before your insurance will even kick in and start paying for some of your health costs. So for example, if you have a $5,000 deductible, that means you pay for everything, you know, your x-rays and other visits until you've spent $5,000, at which point then your insurance will kick in. If you have a $0 deductible, that's kind of like the holy grail because everything is covered right off the bat. The only thing you need to pay for are your premiums and your co-pays. So how do you get these plans with $0 deductibles with really low co-pays for super cheap? Well, it's because of these two subsidies working together. And so one subsidy is called the premium tax credit. And what the premium tax credit does is it just reduces your monthly health premium payments. The other subsidy is a cost sharing reduction subsidy, often just called the CSR. And this reduces your deductibles, your co-pays and your out-of-pocket costs. So together, the way they sort of work is sort of like Alice in Wonderland power-ups or something where one of them makes things cheaper and the other makes things stronger or better. And together, you end up with a really souped up health plan for super cheap. So we'll go through each of these two ACA subsidies in more depth. But first, I think just a quick overview of how these health plans even work, because it, it is kind of complicated because... It's America, and uh, we love to just overcomplicate things. And it's probably just easier to think of these plan tiers like hotel status, which I think is what they've actually modeled these on. I, I feel like they just hired someone at Bonvoy to come up with some of this stuff. But it's like there's four levels of plan coverage, and they're named after precious metals. And so you've got bronze at the bottom, which is your low coverage option, like the premiums are lower, but the coverage is also kind of crappy, like the deductibles are really high, the co-pays are really high, but it is a cheap plan. And then you've got silver, then gold, and then at the top, platinum, and platinum being the best one where it costs the most, but you also have the lowest out-of-pocket costs, like the deductibles are often $0 deductible, and the co-pays are really low, like 5 or $10 or 5 or 10%. And so the way the first of these subsidies, the premium tax credit works, is that it's a credit that you can apply towards the monthly health premium costs. And the credit you get gets better the lower your taxable income until the credit ends up covering your entire premium if you have a really low taxable income. 
Essentially, the IRS assigns you a percentage of your income that you'll pay for health insurance. So for example, if you're married and your taxable income is $30,000 a year, the percentage that you get assigned, which is your required contribution percentage, is 0%, which means you're eligible for completely free health insurance. Now, if you're married and your income is, let's say, under $40,000 for two people, your assigned percentage is now 2%. And so 2% of that $40,000 is $800. So you would only pay $800 a year for health insurance, which is still super cheap because that's like $67 total each month for two people. So still really a good deal. And it's just a sliding scale based on your income. So as that income increases, your required contribution percentage also increases until eventually it caps out at 8.5%. So let's say you're making $100,000 per year for two people. Your percentage is now at the cap, which is 8.5%. So now your required contribution is $8,500. So at that level, you probably aren't going to get any tax credit towards your health insurance because $8,500 is probably more than the cost of the benchmark plan to begin with. So I think the next natural question is what is the benchmark plan and how does that factor into this tax credit calculation? The way it works is that the required contribution percentage that the IRS assigns to you based on your income, that's a a percentage contribution towards a very specific plan. And that plan is the second cheapest silver plan. So didn't I tell you someone at Bombay came up with this? But the reason for it is in that earlier example where you're a couple making $40,000 and your required contribution percentage is 2% or $800 a year, they didn't want you to then just like pick a platinum plan that let's say hypothetically costs $5,000 a month because it's so awesome. So $60,000 a year, and then you only pay $800 towards it, right? They wanted to kind of prevent this by saying that that $800 that you're paying towards a health plan is based on that second cheapest silver plan. So let's say that silver plan costs $8,000 a year. So $8,000, you only need to pay $800. So essentially your tax credit, right, is $8,000 minus $800, which equals $7,200. And knowing that $7,200 is your tax credit based on that second cheapest silver plan, you can then apply that tax credit to any plan. You don't have to just get the second cheapest silver plan. So if you wanted to get that $60,000 a year platinum plan, you could, and you'd only get a $7,200 tax credit towards it. Or you could go the other direction and pick a really cheap bronze plan and just get that bronze plan for free because the $7,200 tax credit will cover the full amount of the bronze plan. And so you don't even need to pay that $800 a year. So that's sort of how that tax credit is calculated. Uh, But you might also be wondering, like, how does the IRS assign you that contribution percentage in the first place? Like, why are you at 0% or someone else at 2% or 8.5%? And yes, it's based on your income, but more specifically, your taxable income as a percentage of the federal poverty level. 
There's actually a, a pretty simple table that I'll link to in the show notes that illustrates the mapping, but a couple things to sort of clarify and explain here, which is that taxable income in this case, they're referring to your modified adjusted gross income, your MAGI, but not just your regular MAGI that you're probably familiar with if you do your own taxes, but rather a modified version of the modified adjusted gross income that's been modified just for the ACA, because why not make it more complicated? But if you're curious, I'll I'll link to that calculation in the show notes. The other component is the federal poverty level. That's what you're comparing that taxable income to. And if you're not familiar with the federal poverty level, it's basically just an economic measure that the federal government has made to determine whether or not you qualify for various federal benefits, including the ACA. And so each year that level is updated. And so for 2023, the federal poverty level is $14,580 for a single person, or if you're married, it's $19,720. So for context, you know, the poverty level sort of defines poverty and around 11% of Americans live below that federal poverty level, so more than one in 10 people. So in the context of the ACA premium tax credit, you can see in the table that 150% of the federal poverty level means that you qualify for the 0% contribution tier, aka free health insurance. So 150% of $19,720, if you're married, let's just round that to $20,000. So 150% of $20,000 is $30,000. So as long as you make under $30,000 as a couple, you get free health insurance or rather whatever the cost of the second cheapest silver plan is, whatever that cost is, you get that full amount as a premium tax credit that you can then apply to any of the plans. If you make 200% or double the federal poverty level, which is about $40,000 if you're married, then you're at the 2% tier. So you would need to pay 2% of your income, which is about $800. So not quite free, but still really cheap because that brings your premiums down for a married couple to below $100 a month total. From there, it's just the sliding scale starting at 150% of the federal poverty level all the way up to 400% where it caps out at 8.5% of your income as the required contribution amount that you must pay towards health insurance. So in a nutshell, I guess a really big nutshell, this is how the premium tax credit works, but it gets a lot better than this because this is just the first subsidy that lowers your health insurance premiums. The next subsidy, the cost sharing reduction subsidy, that's the one that boosts your silver plan into a gold or a platinum plan. And that's what we'll cover next. All right, now we have the cost sharing reduction subsidy. And this is sort of where the magic happens because you probably don't want just a crappy silver plan, right? You probably want that platinum health plan that comes with the the free breakfast and the sweet upgrades, right? And so to get that, usually you'd have to pay for the platinum plan. And even with the premium tax credit, that can still be pretty expensive. 
But what the cost-sharing reduction subsidy does is that it modifies the silver plan to have similar benefits as that of a gold or a platinum plan. What it does is it lowers the co-pays, it lowers the deductibles, it lowers your out-of-pocket costs, all of that good stuff. It's still a silver plan, but now, thanks to the cost-sharing reduction subsidy, it's better than some gold and platinum plans. So how do you qualify for the cost-sharing reduction, the CSR? It's more restrictive than the premium tax credits, but it is still based on the federal poverty level. So it's, again, a pretty simple table. I'll link to that in the show notes. But instead of it being a sliding scale, it goes up in increments of 50% of the federal poverty level. So it starts at 100% of the federal poverty level all the way through 250% of FPL. So it doesn't go all the way up to 400%, which is what the premium tax credit does. It ends or it gets phased out at that 250% level, so the income requirements are lower than the premium tax credit. Basically, between 100 and 150% of FPL, it turns your silver plan into a CSR 94 plan. And you're probably like, geez, what is that even? And so it's actually simpler than it sounds. So CSR just stands for cost sharing reduction. 94 of the CSR 94 refers to a 94% actuarial value. So what that means is just that the health plan on average pays 94% of their participants' health costs. So that's really good. For context, like a silver plan usually is only 70% of actuarial value, a gold plan is 80%, and a platinum plan is 90%. So 94% is really good. But to turn your silver plan into that CSR 94, where it covers 94%, it requires you to be below 150% of FPL. So if you remember, if you're married, that's basically $30,000. You need to be below $30,000 of taxable income annually. So keeping your expenses during your early retirement under $30,000 a year. So it can be tough, but it is possible. And if you do manage to do that, not only are you now getting better than platinum level healthcare, but you also qualify for that 0% required contribution rate, which means you're getting this amazing plan for free. It's totally free. My P2 and I were actually able to get our combined income below 150% in 2022. So we were able to take advantage of both the CSR and the premium tax credit and really maximize both of those at that 150% FPL level. This year, we have more income coming in. So we're more shooting for the 200% of FPL level, which is a bit more realistic for us. But really, it just becomes a game of figuring out how to reduce your annual income level to the desired level so that you can really maximize some of these benefits. And I definitely do find myself chuckling a little bit about the game that is currently being played because it's the complete opposite of what I'm used to, which is back in the day when I was working, it was 100% just like, how can I get the most income I can? You know, how can I get that number as high as I can? And now we've just put that completely on its head. But anyhow, even at the 200% FPL level, it's still pretty great because what 200% FPL gets you is a CSR 87 plan. 
which is a plan that has an actuarial value of 87%. So they cover 87% of their participants' health costs. So obviously not as high as 94%, but still way better than the 70% that is the normal amount for a silver plan. So basically 87%, that's like a, a high gold, low platinum level quality. And even at that level, you can find some pretty amazing $0 deductible plans with really low copays because the way actuarial value works is that it's an aggregate total. It's composed of various pieces that average out to that 87% value. So some plans are going to have a very high deductible, but super low copays. Some might have a $0 deductible, but higher copays. And others might be somewhere in the middle, but they all each average out to 87%. And it's a good thing that there's variation like that within the CSR 87 tier because it means that you can then pick a plan that's based more on what you care about. You know, some people are going to prefer having a $0 or low deductible, whereas other people are going to prefer having super low copays for medication. It really just depends on your unique scenario. In our case, like I think a year or two ago, I pulled my back, which was a little disturbing given I'm in my 30s, but pulled my back and went to see a physical therapist every week. And thanks to that $0 deductible plan, we only paid a $5 copay for every visit instead of it costing $150 if we had a deductible to hit or $250 if we were paying for that visit without health insurance. It's pretty crazy that this is the way our healthcare system works, but it is a system we live in. And so the final tier of the CSR subsidy is between that 200% and 250% of FPL. That's the final bucket where you'll qualify for some amount of cost sharing reduction subsidy because after 250%, there isn't anything. It just phases out completely. But even at that 200 to 250% bucket, it's not very good because what it does is it turns a silver plan into a CSR 73, so 73% actuarial value. And if you remember, a silver plan was already 70%, so only like a 3% increase. You're not really even going to notice it. So for me, the easiest way to think of the CSR subsidy is to think of it like a bank bonus deposit payout table. You know, one of those where it's like, if you deposit $5,000, you get a $200 bonus. But if you deposit $15,000, you get a $300 bonus. And then if you deposit $50,000, you get a $400 bonus. And so of course, you're just going to be like, well, I'm just going to deposit $5,000 then and just get the 200 because the other tiers don't really make sense. They're just not a good value. And similar kind of case with the CSR subsidy where 150% of FPL is going to be the best because you get that 94% value, 200%, still pretty good. You're getting 87% value, so only a 7% drop off. But if you get to 250% of FPL, it's kind of crappy because you're now hitting 73%, which is a 14% drop off from the previous tier. So 200% really, in my opinion, is sort of the sweet spot. It's a lot harder, I think, to bring your income and your expenses below $30,000 a year as a couple than it is $40,000. Now, if you can bring it below $30,000, 
kudos to you. You know, that's amazing because you're going to save the most. But 40,000 is still quite good. Above 40,000, though, is when it starts getting kind of problematic because you're still getting cheap healthcare thanks to the premium tax credit. But the quality you're getting is now just going to be silver because you've phased out of the CSR subsidy. So it's still better than not having health insurance, but just not as awesome as being able to boost that silver plan into a gold or a platinum plan. As you can tell by now, the TLDR of this whole thing really is that everything just becomes a game of how to lower your annual taxable income, because the lower your annual taxable income, your ACA Magi, the cheaper and better your health insurance becomes, and the more attainable and sustainable it becomes to actually fire. And so it's sort of like the opposite of a a vicious cycle, which... What is that, a a virtuous cycle where one thing helps the other? Like by retiring early, you lower your health insurance costs. And by lowering your health insurance costs, it becomes easier to retire early. But of course, the first step in that flow is to actually retire if you want to qualify for better ACA subsidies. Because while you're employed, you're likely making too much money. And it may be a moot point anyway, because your company probably pays for your health insurance and the ACA subsidies specifically exclude people who have affordable health coverage through their employer. So obviously getting to the point where you're able to retire, whether that's early or not, is the biggest challenge. But I won't go too much into the whole like lead up to fire, like how to fire, because there's so many blogs out there, so many communities, so many podcasts already that go into that exact topic. But the point that I kind of want to emphasize is that the hurdle of retirement is not as high as you think it is. One of the big reasons why people don't think they can retire early is that they don't think they can afford to lose health insurance. And that is one of the most common concerns that we feel from our friends and family when we talk about retiring early is like, they're like, well, won't you lose health insurance and Medicare doesn't kick in till you're 65. So how do you bridge that gap? Or it's just like, it's too expensive to pay for health insurance out of pocket. So I can't do it. But the reality is you can afford to because it's free or at least super cheap. I don't think this was the intended effect when they wrote the ACA, but thanks to the ACA, you don't have to be indentured to your job until 65 anymore simply because your employer pays for your health insurance. It's kind of this like false dilemma where it's like, I can't afford health insurance if I retire. That's just not true anymore. Retiring is what makes health insurance cheap or free. And more specifically, when it comes to the various flavors of early retirement, lean fire and churning fire are the two things that enable this. So lean fire, if you're not aware, is sort of just like a a leaner way to retire early. So retiring with less assets, provided you can spend less money. The goal really is to minimize your annual expenses. And so for us, we're doing the lean fire thing where our target currently is below 200% of FPL for two people. So again, that's that $40,000 threshold. And I know a lot of people, when we talk about lean fire and, you know, living below $40,000 a year, they're like, man, there's no way I can do that. You know, I, I spend way more than that. And I get it. We were exactly like that. We used to spend over $100,000 in a year without even batting an eye and without even realizing it. And it took quite a bit of a, a mindset shift in our relationship with money for us to really rein that in. Like it literally took us over a decade to really embody and understand the concept of your money or your life. 
Money costs time. So do you want to spend your time making money or do you want to spend your money making time? So that's something that probably requires quite a bit of soul searching to come up with the answer to. But the other concern I often hear is like, well, I don't want to live like I'm poor. Like this lean fire thing seems like I'm going to be living on beans and rice every day without any vacations. And I guess just a, a quick reality check first too, because $40,000 per year in expenses is solidly lean fire, but that is still double the federal poverty level. So I think I mentioned earlier that 10% of Americans live under the federal poverty level. $40,000 a year is double that and double the federal poverty level. Close to 30% of Americans live below this. So one in three Americans are living under $40,000 a year already. So it is very much doable on paper. But again, I get it. You're like, well, that works for some people, but I don't want to live like I'm poor. I want to go on vacations and travel and eat well and do all these fun things. Well, welcome to the Daily Churn podcast. This show exists because myself and P2, we lean fired a couple years ago, meaning that I actually had the time to pursue some hobbies like trying out a podcast. And if you've listened to this show before, you know we don't live on beans and rice. Most of these episodes are about how we use churning to live far beyond what lean fire might typically allow. There's an episode on meal kits, which we love because often the food we cook via meal kits is better than most of the restaurants near us for about the same price as rice and beans. There's an episode on Hyatt Globalist, where we regularly, thanks to globalist status, stay in suites that cost over $1,000 a night. There's also an episode on Southwest Companion Passes, where my P2 has flown for free for almost a decade now. We also had an episode on ANA award bookings, where we booked first class ANA suites that usually go for over $20,000 a flight for only a few hundred dollars in taxes. We also actually just got back from Hawaii, where we spent five nights for free at a Marriott on the best beach in Kona. And that would have cost over $5,000 in cash just for the room, but it was totally free thanks to opening one credit card. Which, quick tangent, if you are interested in booking that specific hotel yourself and how to find award availability there, I just posted a deal alert about that about a week or two ago. So check that out. But all of this to say, we are very much not living on beans and rice, sitting on our couch watching TV every day because we're retired and we're bored and we don't have any money. So our version of Lean Fire is sort of like Lean Fire plus barista fire, but not really because barista fire kind of implies you're working at like a Starbucks or something else to support fire. Instead, I kind of refer to it as churning fire because thanks to churning, you can get a pretty reliable side income that will then allow you to retire earlier from the job that you probably hate. So obviously, if you hate churning, though, this is not for you. But if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have uh, positive feelings towards churning. But the best part other than the side income, though, and how it relates to health insurance and taxability is that points and miles are not taxable. So you can make far beyond $40,000 of real world value per year while keeping your taxable income at $40,000. For example, 1 million Chase points is worth $15,000 on the Chase travel portal if you redeemed it at 1.5 cents per point. But most of us don't even do that. We transfer those points to other partners so that we can book first class flights and all this other good stuff, which ends up making it worth far more than $15,000. 
Additionally, credit card sign-up bonuses, even when the bonus is like cash back, like you get $500 of cash back for spending $5,000, that sign-up bonus is still tax-free. All credit card sign-up bonuses are considered a rebate or a discount on the purchases that you made. Therefore, they're not taxable. The way to sort of think about that is like if Walmart had a TV that's usually $1,000 and they discounted it to $800, the IRS doesn't say, well, you just made an extra $200 of income because of the discount and now we're going to tax you on that $200 of savings. That discount is totally tax-free. Same with credit card sign-up bonuses, except instead of Walmart giving you the discount, it's your credit card company. So churning fire lets you stay under that $40,000 of income per year for cheap health insurance while still traveling better than some of my friends who make $500,000 a year but who refuse to churn. I think this is why the Venn diagram of people who fire and people who churn, there's a pretty big overlap between the two. And not just because of the the taxability side, but also there seems to be a pretty heavy overlap in skill sets because a similar skill set is required for both. You got to keep good tracking in spreadsheets. So you got to be good at spreadsheets, but you also got to love optimizing things and love working the system. And so it's hardly a surprise that the two complement each other so well. But I'll wrap it up here before I spend the next 30 minutes raving about how awesome churning fire is because this is it for the health insurance part. The next couple parts of the series will be about the Roth conversion ladders, which is huge when it comes to being able to tap into that money early, and the glide path, which is just a totally different way of thinking about how to invest your money when you're investing on a 60-year retirement time frame instead of like a 30-year retirement time frame. So lots of good stuff coming up, but hopefully you enjoyed this episode on health insurance, even if you're not currently firing or plan to fire. Definitely let me know in the comments how you liked it and if you have other fire churning type topics that you want to see covered in the future. As always, you can find the show notes or leave comments at thedailychurnpodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do forward it to a friend. Most people find out about this show just through word of mouth. I don't really do much marketing at all. And if you're extra excited about this episode, leave a rating or review on Apple or Spotify because that really helps other people discover the show as well. Otherwise, I will catch you all next time for the November recap. Thanks again for tuning in. See ya. Thank you.